Hello, BYWG Tribe. Here's a quick, less than one minute review of our supplement, program, and book of the month for August. At the end of the podcast, I will spend a few extra minutes going into finer details, so we encourage you to listen to the end. The supplement of the month for August is our newest premium formulation, Vitamin C Boost. The 10% discount code for the month is lowercase B-O-O-S-T-10. That's Boost 10. It is case sensitive. Our book of the month is The Serpent and the Butterfly, The Seven Laws of Healing by Dr. Ben Reeves. The program of the month is from our friend, the soul-inspired girl, Dr. Laura Foster. The program is called Reclaim Your Voice. And the 15% discount code for our listeners is capital B, capital Y, capital W, capital G. Listen to the end for more specifics. All the links, discount codes, and special offers for the program, supplement, and book will be listed in the show notes in Apple Podcasts, posted on social media, in our weekly newsletter, and on our website at www.beyondyourwildestgenes.com at the Listen Now tab. Thanks for listening. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Beyond Your Wildest Genes podcast. I'm your co-host today, Dr. Mike Akinfora, and today I have author Miriam Kalamian. Miriam, how are you? I'm great. How are you today? Wonderful. Miriam has written a phenomenal book that, um, as you all know, keto is near and dear to our hearts um, for various reasons and, and, and our stories. And her book is Keto for Cancer, Ketogenic metabolic therapy as a targeted nutritional strategy great book it'll be in the show notes and miriam and i are going to talk today about how this can help you as you go through your journey i'm going to read a short bio and we're going to get right into it so miriam is a nutritional consultant educator and author specializing in the implications of ketogenic therapies. She's a leading voice in the keto movement coming to it from an intensely personal experience. In 2004, her young son Rafi was diagnosed with brain cancer. Unfortunately, conventional treatments failed. It was then that Miriam literally stumbled onto Dr. Thomas Seafried's research supporting the use of the diet in cancer. In an awesome turn of events, Rafi's tumors stopped growing after just three months of a medically supervised ketogenic diet. That was the turning point in Miriam's life as well. By the spring of 2010, she had earned her master's degree in human nutrition and was board certified to practice. Well, uh, of all the folks that I've had on the show, um, your your personal experience really speaks to me and I, I really want to thank you for taking the time to put your personal journey into words so that you could help more folks ah, and it was I was driven to do it believe me um, this was an opera this this book keto for cancer was the opportunity to wrap my son's story around the science around the nuts and bolts of the diet around the advocacy that's needed in order to move forward with the diet. Um, I start and I end with my son's story because that that's why I do what I do. And you did a, a wonderful job of, uh, of, of uh, leading into his story, and I want to elaborate on that. So in December of 2004, so it was right around this time in uh, 
2004, we learned that um, our son, Rafi, who was only four years old at the time, had brain cancer. So can just imagine uh, as a parent how devastating that is to hear this. And, you know, it, when we got this news, we weren't even sure what it meant. Did it? it but it certainly meant that our, his life, our lives, his life, his future was going to be different, very different from what we had been thinking up to that point. So this tumor was the size of an orange, uh, inoperable because it was uh, so uh, infiltrated into the normal tissue of his brain. Uh, and so the option, the only option that they presented to us at, at this diagnosis was uh, 14 months of weekly chemotherapy. So, I know. So they sent us home on Christmas Eve. That's when we had the biopsy results on Christmas Eve. And they said, come back right after the holiday and we'll start chemo, which we did. And, uh, you know, to watch him get um, compromised by this therapy, uh, you know, he was okay for the first few months and then it just gradually, it just starts to wear down. And, we were hoping to kick the can down the road with this, but at the end of this 14 months, uh, it didn't take long to learn that it really hadn't touched the cancer. So he had done all this, and uh, you know we had gone through this, and his cancer was still growing. So we moved to the next therapy, and uh, that was 12 weeks of chemotherapy, and that one didn't touch the tumor was growing through that, so then we did the unthinkable. We subjected him to a couple of very risky surgeries, and that helped to slow things down a little bit, but it also created a lot of problems in the hypothalamus, and that area actually, um, that grew back in eight weeks plus 25% more. So we'd actually stimulated growth there. So now we're desperate. What are we going to do? We enter him in a clinical trial, thinking that's the, you know, oh, yeah, cutting edge here we've got a clinical trial. We didn't understand that this is just about recruiting numbers, and and our son failed that. And it was in the in the process of thinking about what to do next. Um, their plan was to move him to palliative care. So this is like the spring of uh, 2007. They're moving him to palliative care, which is just treatments that are going to keep him hospitalized and and blood transfusions and whatever until there's finally nothing else to treat. So uh, I'm looking online at a chemo drug, and uh, I bookmark the site, and I go back to it a couple days later, and this this information is gone. And instead, what's on the page, because this was Science Daily, was Dr. Seyfried's research out of Boston College. So that was the first opportunity I would have even had to uh, to see this study because that's the day it was sort of introduced to the public. And I, I want to stress, I was not looking for a cancer diet. I was researching, I was still researching conventional care. So here's this study. It's mouse model. I've been trained not to pay attention to mouse model, but what caught my eye was his mention of a study that had been done in children with, um, with advanced brain tumors, anaplastic astrocytoma. So uh, that really caught my eye because that study had been done in the 90s and why hadn't I heard about this and what was this about a diet? And I contacted his uh, lab and Dr. Seyfried starts emailing me back with all this information 
um, everything that he had on uh, how to use this diet for cancer or, you know, the basis, I should say, not how to use it, but the basis of this um, for brain cancer. This study was about caloric restriction, ketogenic diet in a mouse model of brain cancer. And it clearly showed that the mice who were ketogenic had better outcomes. It didn't cure them. It didn't save them. But man, anything to kick the can down the road. So, so we, you know, we we brought this to his uh, pediatric specialist, and and he just rolled his eyes, and that's you know that's the response that so many people get. He rolled his eyes and just told us it wasn't going to work. And then he gets his high-powered buddy on the phone, and uh, he tells us that the Atkins diet. No, I never said Atkins. I said ketogenic. But he tells us, oh, the Atkins diet is for fat people. Stick to the plan. Well, I just told you what <laughs> what their plan was, which was palliative care until he died. Right. So it's like, well, you know, we want to do this. I actually had to kind of sign off on a care plan. Uh, it was all very intimidating to stand up to these doctors that at one point were, you know, I was looking at as his only chance to stand up to them and say we were going to do something as ridiculous as a diet. So we got his local oncologist and his pediatric, um, his pediatrician to uh, to medically monitor this because I was scared to death. Nobody in 2007 was going to support this. Um, and, and there was all this information out there in the epilepsy world on how to do this, but, uh, you know, not in the cancer world. So we were a huge liability. Nobody was going to take that on. Um, but I got a hold of the protocol and I got like help from uh, a couple of moms who were doing this for their children with epilepsy. And I had the Johns Hopkins book and I had an Atkins carb counter and we went ahead with it for a three month trial. And none of us were expecting what we saw at three months, which was this tumor had finally stopped growing. In fact, it had shrunk back from the uh, margins, which we didn't even think was possible and was just smaller all around, 10 to 15 percent smaller. Wow. Uh, which doesn't sound like a lot when you're talking about a tumor the size of an orange, but this was the first time we'd seen anything positive. So my, I, you could just imagine what it felt like to get this news, but um, I also went, oh, you know, this is great, but I don't really understand why this happened. And I wasn't getting many answers as to why this had happened. I wasn't even getting answers on how to do this, maybe how how we could tweak this to make it better for cancer. Uh, and I, I got the Charlie Foundation nutritionist to talk to me on the phone. And in 90 minutes, I had decided that I really needed to go to school for this. So that's what I did. I went I went to a, into a graduate program, very traditional one for um, that's registered dietitians. Sure. Uh, get their master's degrees through. Uh, and Thankfully, I had the support of uh, senior professors and my advisor in looking at ketogenic because I certainly didn't have the support of the registered dietitians that were in this um, in my classes. Uh, only a couple of them acknowledged that this was uh, um, a, a reasonable thing to be doing. And I'm thinking, you know, what what have we got to lose? And they're thinking, oh, you know, you're going outside the bounds of um, of conventional care here. So anyway, uh, you know, so it's just been, uh, so in 2010, I have my degree. I can start to like legally practice this, bring this to people. And uh, my son, uh, unfortunately, he died in 2013. 
But if you look at the time that we started it, which is the spring of um, 2007, we had six years. There was no way we were going to get six years if we had gone the palliative care route. It just wasn't going to happen. So, uh, you know, I don't care what doctors think about the level of evidence that we have here. Uh, I, you know, I don't care about their opinions, I should say, about the level of evidence. Of course, I would like the level of evidence to be stronger. But this worked with my son and I and the people that I've worked with since. And it's been hundreds of people, not just with brain cancer, but with all kinds of cancers. And it is not a cure. But when used as an adjunct to care, you know, we're seeing amazing responses to treatment much better than if people were just doing the standard of care. So why not? It comes down to why not? People with cancer don't have the luxury of time. Why shouldn't we be changing up the diet? It is um, Rob Wolf, who has Paleo Solution podcast, uh-huh. Paleo Solution book. Basically, I, I love his philosophy, is let's try it for, you know, 30 days, 60 days, and let's see how you look, feel, and function after that time. Exactly. That's what I tell people. It's just an experiment. Do it for two months. Commit to it fully for two months. You know, get your scan as a baseline or use your scan as a baseline, and then let's look at what happens a few months from now. Plus, you got to look at how, you know, the other health improvements you can can get from a ketogenic diet. So, um, yeah, why not give it a trial like we did? You know, like I said, we were all stunned that it actually had this kind of an impact. We were just hoping to see, honestly, just slower progression while we flailed around and tried to find something else to do. And um, instead, this is what we did for six years. You know, much like yourself, um, at the exact same time in the spring of 2007, uh, my wife was diagnosed with cancer. (sighs) And, uh, you know, having two young children at the time, I, you know, when you, when you, you understand this, when you get that cancer diagnosis, you know, your, your, your innards want to fall out. Oh, yeah. It's just, it, it, it rocks your world. <laughs> and, yeah, I, you know, that yeah. uh, December of 2004 was yeah. when a quarter of a million people died in a tsunami and I didn't even know it for four days because I was focused on that one little life that meant so much to me. Sure, absolutely. Um, and, and my research took me back then, 2007, like there was not, there's not a lot of information no. on, on keto. There's very, and even less on keto and cancer. Oh, yeah. And, and what is out there on keto? It's great that it's out there and more people are learning about it from simple searches. They're kind of guided towards it. But there's also, I call it the minefield of misinformation because there's, you know, there's too many people reporting on what they think is happening to them, not just in cancer, but in metabolics in general. And, um, and you know, there are some solid resources out there, like in metabolics, there's Volick and Finney, and then there's the research of, in cancer, Seafried and D'Agostino. Um, so, and, and what Stephen Kinane is doing, uh, and Dale Bredesen is doing as far as diet for Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. Uh, so, you know, it's, there's this growing body of knowledge, but there's also this growing minefield of misinformation in my book cuts through all that. 
And this is the science. This is the nuts and bolts. If you're going to do it for cancer, it's got to be nuanced. We need to keep protein low. You know, we, we need to look at, um, at, at your nutritional intake. And yes, you do need a scale to measure. We can make it simple, but we can't like uh, make it just about the same parameters that you'd use for weight loss. Uh, okay, we, so, yeah, uh, yeah go me, ahead. let me, let me jump in. Um, I want to I want to get into what is the ketogenic diet, but before I do that, let's let's hone in on d- describe for me like the landscape of cancer and cancer care today, and where it's gone, you know, astray. Oh, okay. Well, you know, I could write a book on that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, what happened was was basically back in the early part of the last century, Otto Warburg. In his observations, saw that uh, cancer cells um, metabolized uh, glucose at a much higher rate than normal cells, and this has never been in dispute then or since. It's called the the Warburg effect. Some people call it the Warburg, well, extended to the Warburg hypothesis, but let's just call it the Warburg effect. And um, it's a dysregulation of cellular metabolism and we sort of went with that and understood that and there was some like movement towards that unfortunately Warburg was German and this was post you know when it came to post uh, World War II there they sort of um, marginalized the work of uh, Germans and then in the uh, you know 50s you got Watson and Crick and their beautiful diagram of you know DNA and that sort of took over and it's it, it developed over the decades into a genetic theory of cancer. So we moved away from looking at cancer metabolism as, hey, this is the underlying mechanism within the body. This is what's happening in the body. And instead, we just started looking at the genetics of cancer. And when you do that, that's a, a boy, that's a slippery slope. And they thought they were going to have it all figured out by now. And instead, uh, they're finding it's much more complicated. I go into that in, in my book and why that isn't working. So these targeted therapies that you hear about are mostly looking at like one pathway. But, you know, take a typical glioblastoma tumor. It's got 50 or 60 different mutations. You can't target all of those at one time. So, you know, you, you can't have 50 or 60 different drugs or even a dozen different drugs that are going to go after this because you have unintended consequences. Each time you manipulate one pathway from the outside, you're creating problems in other pathways. And you're also giving the cancer time to work around this. Mm. But when you make the, when you make the actual environment the body environment of the of the tumor inhospitable, or you you change it epigenetically by changing the timing of food, the macronutrient distribution, which means protein, fat, carbs. You change that up, but you're working from within at the underlying cause of this imbalance to start with. So instead of the outside in, you're working from the inside out. Because honestly, we just don't know. I'm, I was talking to a fellow last night, and he said, you know, yeah, there's, you know, uh, uh, this, when you're talking about something like beta-hydroxybutyrate, you're changing, you're upregulating thousands of enzymes, and you're downregulating thousands of enzymes, and we don't really know, you know, we can't possibly understand this, but our bodies are getting it, aren't they? Mm-hmm. They've, they've figured this out, and being in a state of ketosis 
is a perfectly normal and natural adaptation to uh, a low-carbohydrate state or a, a starvation state. You know, our bodies had to adapt to that, um, uh, you know, way before we be, you know, way, way back in our time. So it's, it's, it's conserved across um, uh, a lot of different organisms and comes down to us. And, yes, we can make ketones that will nourish our brains during starvation or when we can't get a lot of carbs. But these when you switch to ketosis, you're also changing your underlying metabolic state. So we, we've scratched the, the surface of a ketogenic diet, but relate it to, uh, for me and for the audience, uh, how does it work relative to a cancer treatment? But uh, also hit on what ketosis is and, and ketones as well. Okay, and I do have, you know, in my book I go into awesome. that in detail, of course, yeah. So um, what you're doing is you're switching from the use of glucose where you're taking in all these meals that – Raise your blood glucose levels, raise your insulin levels, and then insulin pushes glucose into cells, and then your glucose levels drop and you get hungry, you're signaled for another meal. So we're, we're changing that up by keeping glucose low and steady. It's still normal, still in a normal range. You can't literally starve your cancer of glucose. We talk about it in those simplified terms. Um, you know, we're making it less available to cancer cells that want to use a lot of it. Uh, and we're also making glutamine less available on several fronts. way we move from this glucose-centered metabolism to a fat-based metabolism is um, cutting down on the amount of car carbohydrates, limiting the amount of carbohydrates, dramatically limiting it. So you're going under 20 grams of carbohydrate a day instead of, you know, hundreds of grams of carbohydrate a day, which is a typical American diet, uh, and becoming more globally so. Um, and when you do that, you're, you're not uh, taking in enough glucose through your diet to provide your brain and red blood cells with some of the, uh, with the glucose that it needs. But our bodies have a workaround to that. So f the first thing that happens is you, uh, you use up your glycogen stores uh, in the liver. And then the, that causes you to start breaking down fat in order to use the fat to fuel the body. Uh, but the limitation of that is the brain can't use these fats. So then the next thing it does, it takes an accumulation of some of these fatty um, acid uh, oxidation byproducts and makes brand new things called ketone bodies. These are uh, three compounds, um, two of which your body loves for energy, uh, particularly the one called beta-hydroxybutyrate. So these are small um, molecules water soluble and this is the important thing because they because they're water soluble they can get into the brain whereas you know fat can't get through that blood brain barrier but these ketone bodies can so you you you're fueling your body you're fueling every cell in your body with what it needs so your red blood cells are still going to get glucose because you're going to make it in the liver and you're going to make it from recycling waste it's, so it's just it's amazing how this goes on so it, your muscles are going to use uh, and your heart are going to use fatty acids as a fuel your brain's going to be using these ketones and the great thing in cancer is that cancer cells uh, don't have these uh, same adaptations they're not able to make this 
they're not as flexible. They don't have that like hybrid engine thing going on. They're not as flexible. So you feed them ketones and they don't have the right enzymes. So they don't have enough transporters or they have such faulty mitochondria that they're, that they're not, you know, they're not just, they're just not good energy producers. They're relying on this thing going on in the cytoplasm of the cell, this glucose. Um, and you're, so you're cutting down glucose at the same time. You're providing alternative fuels and that's what slows the progression of cancer down. You're inhibiting the pathways that support it and supporting the pathways towards better health. Wow. I know. Yeah. <laughs> it's a big wow. And I and I'm I'm really hard pressed to put it in simpler terms than that. You know, I, I've heard people do it and I admire them for, for what they can do. Um but my, the bottom line is Michael, you don't have to understand any of this to to be able to do this diet. You just have to understand the nuts and bolts of how to formulate the diet and try it and um, and then learn what you want of the science as you're going through this process, which is what we did. I hadn't a clue why this was working. You know, there was this like paragraph of speculation out there and then what Dr. Seafried was was telling me about it. But that was it. So the knowledge just keeps growing, and, and uh, the knowledge base is expanding as well. Absolutely. You know, I, I have patients that are on a ketogenic diet, and they do say that the diet is hard. What do you say to convince them that it's worth it? Uh, that it's worth it? Yeah. How do you feel versus <laughs> how much effort are you putting into this? Or in our case, when – my son's doctors, some of the naysayers in there would tell us that it was too hard. It's like, are you nuts? You know, this is a walk in the park. This is it, this. What was hard was watching, you know, this tumor grow and grow and watching his physical health deteriorate and his mental health deteriorate. That was hard. But, you know, having this kid running on the beach because of a diet, that's the simple part. So what we what we need to do is just make this simpler to implement for people and the the main difficulty is not about the foods it's just a different mix of foods we're all familiar with um the the difficult the challenging part of this is is getting past the toxic food environment mm -hmm. and when i use toxic food environment i'm just not i'm not talking just about like roundup in the soil i'm talking about going to a christmas party and what do you got there you know, who's going to get the rave reviews? You bring in your flaxseed muffins or the person that's bringing the chocolate brownies? You know, so that's the that's the challenge right there. So it's it be for me, it's changing your relationship to food. Ah, get your comfort go. somewhere else. Get your comfort from other things, from socializing, from spending time in nature, from taking care of yourself. That's where you're going to get your comfort. Don't look it for it in food. That's that's history once you get this cancer diagnosis. Absolutely. Um, it's interesting. My my understanding came in a, in a different way. It was when I started researching because my wife, um, when we were going through the process, she had to have a PET scan. So doing my, doing my Google searches like, huh, PET scan, radioactive glucose molecule that's looking for its friends. I know it's like, nuts. Oh my God! Does yeah. why doesn't anybody see this? Yeah, yeah. And the, yeah, yeah. It, it, the interesting thing is, of course, my wife is a 
was a trained pastry chef at the French Culinary Institute in New York, and our life revolved around being foodies. Yes. And we just, just like you said, Miriam, we changed our relationship to food. It was just like yourself. You drew a line in the sand, and this is what it was before, and this is what it is now. You got it. And people ask me, how did we do it with our son? And um, and I run into this when working with children and siblings and grandparents that want to indulge in all of that. And it's like, yeah, draw a line in the sand. Um, but also when, you know, you can make substitutions. So it's like, okay, this is a kid that loved pasta, loved mac and cheese. Well, why can't we make a cream sauce that's a little cheesy and put it on some noodled or, you know, noodled zucchini. Or if you, if you take a vegetable peeler to it, it's actually more like fettuccine and, or make a meat sauce. Um, and, you know, there's all kinds of things you can do. And thankfully, there's many more recipe resources now. The, the, the biggest issue I see with what's online for recipe resources in the nuances for cancer is they're too high in protein. So, you know, that's something that I, I work really closely with people is getting um, their protein amount really dialed in. And I think it's extremely important to talk about one thing other than diet here, and that is exercise or physical activity of some kind. This diet works best when you can be physically active. It works best when you can lower your stress because stress raises glucose. Um, so and, you know, it, it, there are just all these things other than diet that play into it. You know, when I get an email from somebody and I see, you know, in the next, I'm looking at my uh, emails and they've sent it to me three o'clock their morning, their, their time, you know, in the morning, it's yep. like, you know, you're spending way too much time and the wrong hours of the day researching this and thinking about this. And what is your sleep like? What is your, what's this doing to your circadian rhythms? So all of this plays into it, Michael, you know that. Um, it's not just about diet, um, but diet here does play, you know, a, a major role. You just got to also, as you can, address these other things. It's overwhelming in the beginning um, for most people. That diagnosis, like you said, your stomach just drops out. Um, but, you know, you just take it in the pieces that, you, you know, you can and you keep just moving forward a step at a time. Absolutely. Um, I, I I don't want to get off topic, but um, you did bring it up in, in being physically active. Like what, how do you, how does, how do you see that Miriam? Like, what is it that you see people being physically active? Okay. Uh, it, it's really widely variable. There are some people that come to it from, a, they're very physically fit and suddenly they've got this diagnosis of brain cancer. People that are not physically fit, have been sedentary, and now we've got to figure something out. Or in the case of a woman I was working with this, this weekend, systemic advanced stage four cancer, um, very fatigued from her chemotherapy, but she has a stationary bike and she'll crawl onto that bike and it's getting easier. She'll crawl onto that bike and she'll tell herself as she's doing it, cancer hates this, let's get busy. So, you know, and I asked her, can I quote you on this? And she said, yeah. So it's like, yeah, cancer hates this. Um, it's because it's something normal. And it's something that, that um, you know, physical activity is built into us. We weren't meant to be sedentary, you know, beings sitting behind desks. We were meant to be basically in motion all, all day, yes. some type of motion. So 
even if it's just that, even if it's, you know, something like gardening or household activities or just a walk, walk the dog for 20 to 30 minutes. If that's where you're starting, you, you have to get beyond the fatigue somehow and engage in some type of this exercise. And ideally, I like to see resistance training because I think that having um, um, uh, synthesis going on in the muscles um, you know, muscle um, mu- maintains muscle mass, mm-hmm. and and also just tells the body we're you know we're okay, we're bringing you back into balance. I think it's very helpful to do exercise, you know. And if you need a trainer to help motivate you or coach, do what you can. And, you know, sometimes it can be a text from your loved one, but other times you need a trainer. Yeah, yeah. I I believe um, we strongly believe at Beyond Your Wildest Genes, everybody should have a coach. Uh, it's really important in life. Um, it, you able to talk to somebody, get your thoughts and concerns out there, help you help you really articulate your goals and your objectives. And, and, and that's super important, uh, whether that come in the form of a trainer or a, or, or a life coach, um, just really important. Uh, exactly. We only get to go through this once. Mm, yes. <laughs> and, you know, it, it's uh, you can learn from this experience of cancer. You can learn to be healthier mentally as well as physically. And that's what my wife has said time and time again, that um, cancer was the best thing that ever happened to her. That, I've heard that before. Yeah, yeah it just allowed her um, as a young mom to put things in their proper perspective prioritize what's important and really allowed her to um, literally just drop the stress of the stuff that didn't matter. Exactly. You know, we prioritize like crazy to the point where we just abandoned everything here in Montana. This is where I live. And we took our son down to the Baja and we spent the winter down there because winters here in Montana can get pretty dreary. Uh, and, and so instead of kind of battling the snow and whatever and sending them off to school every day, um, we took that time and enjoyed, you know, like four and a half, five months, whatever it was down in the Baja, Mexico. And I can't tell you how important that is as a mom to have seen him running on the beach, to see him oh. petting baby whales, yep. to see, you know, to, to just hang out in places. He would call it chillaxing. Um, and you know, and that did just wonders for all of us, not just for him, but it was like, it was, did wonders for all of us and, uh, time well spent. And those are the memories that I prefer to hold on to. I don't want to remember what it was like to go to the cancer clinic every week. I want to remember that time on the beach. Absolutely. I I love your message. I only have one more question and I think it's a big one. Um, What is your best advice for how patients can actually talk to their doctors? And you wrote, as you say, get in the game. Like mm. that, that could be overwhelming for folks. So could you lay that out for us? Yeah, uh, I, I, this book is about advocacy. So, you know, I would highly recommend anybody considering this, um, read this before you even approach your doctor on this. Um, because you do need to approach your team on this, your conventional team. They need to know what you're doing. They don't have to believe that it's going to work. Uh, Rafi's doctors didn't believe it was going to work. 
But, you know, and thankfully we got a little support, but you don't even need that from your oncologist. You don't need support. You just need them to tell you if there's any reason medically or nutritionally that you shouldn't be doing this. Uh, so their opinions don't count in my in my book. Their opinions don't count. So if they say diet doesn't matter, well, that's great for you because you can turn that around. It's not a it, it shouldn't crush you. It shouldn't leave you feeling, you know, like you can't move forward with this. It should leave you feeling like, yay, they told me diet doesn't matter. So I can do this diet if they tell you there's no evidence for it. It's like, well, you know, do you really need your person with cancer? Do you really need the same level of evidence that they're looking for in order to do to do this? It's like a you know what have I got to lose kind of thing. Uh, so, but to to move forward with it, understand that it's just it's not going to happen all on its own. You need to advocate for yourself because this is not a welcoming world um, as far as going against the paradigm of a balanced diet. So. I stress getting the nutrition that you need, but you can do it within the context of a ketogenic diet. So, you know, the, the advocacy, the self-advocacy, the empowerment, understanding some basics about the science without, you know, you don't need, like I said, you don't need to understand all this. You can just have it at a basic level. And then being able to do it properly so that you're not feeling hungry or sick or headachey, or lightheaded, or anything during the transition. You know, I, I really, when I work with somebody, I, I, I help prepare them, if they haven't started yet, I help prepare them with all the stuff to have on hand, like have the salted bone broth ready, ready to go. And, you know, so that uh, when you're not feeling like, like you can get through the next few hours, you have something you can have that's going to help you with this. So the, the transition, people should be able to get through this in a few days to, you know, a week or two, the, the rough part, the people, what people consider to be the rough part of the transition. Some of my clients don't experience these transition side effects at all. They're so well prepared going into it that um, we anticipate and we, uh, we act, we proactively address these, these potential concerns. And it gets more complicated with chemotherapy. So that's, the nuances that I have in, in my book are about being able to mesh this with a standard of care or if somebody's going alternative with the alternative. I support them diet-wise no matter what their decision is because, believe me, it is their decision. It's not the oncologist's decision. It's not the endocrinologist's decision what you eat. Uh, and if you're not feeling support, uh, you know, well, well, look for your look somewhere else for your support. But if you feel like this person is out to intimidate me into what I'm doing, then you need to fire that person and move on to somebody else. That's my advice is you stay, you know, you, you need the medical oversight, but you can find somebody who's not going to be an obstacle. We did. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Well, Miriam, I really want to thank you for your time. I greatly appreciate you sharing with our community. Um, tell people where they can find you in the world. Okay. I have a website, dietarytherapies.com. I have a Facebook page under my name, Miriam Kalamian. I have a Twitter account under Dietary Therapy. 
And I want to just make a note of something uh, that um, may be an option for a few people, but I'm going to be um, speaking at a conference in West Palm Beach, lowcarbusa.org, uh, and that's coming up real soon. January um, 19th, 20th, 21st is the conference. I'm taking the day before the conference to um, to meet with people. To ad- I'm advocating for this kind of simplified ketogenic diet. I'll meet with practitioners for half a day, and I'll meet with people for, with cancer for half a day, and um, that's all included with the conference. I'm not charging. In other words, I'm not charging for this. I'm just doing it because I, I need to do this. I need to communicate this, share it with as many people as I can. And let people know the title of the book. Keto for Cancer. Let's keep it simple. Keto for Cancer. <laughs> that is wonderful. Everything that we just went over will be in the show notes. So you'll be able to find Miriam wherever you need to find her. Um, she'll be down in Florida. And that's Low Carb USA, you said? LowCarbUSA.org. And it's the West Palm Beach event. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, Twitter is at Dietary Therapy, correct? Uh-huh. And then your website is Dietary Therapies? Yes, yes. Perfect. I got it. Dot com. Hey, folks, if you've liked what you heard today, please do us a huge favor and leave a uh, review on iTunes. It helps us help others get this information out to them. I am deeply grateful for the time that we get to spend together, and we will see you soon. Have a good day. Ciao. Thank you. So here's some more specifics. Our August supplement of the month is vitamin C boost. It is a blend of vitamin C, both as ascorbic acid and in the natural food source, the acerola cherry. Vitamin C is crucial for immune function and collagen production. It can help you sleep by lowering cortisol at night and is particularly important for cigarette smokers. We've added in grapeseed extract, glutathione, and zinc to truly make this a -a one-of-a-kind vitamin C supplement. For the entire month of August, if you use the code lowercase B-O-O-S-T-10, Boost 10, you will receive 10% off this incredible new formulation. You can pick it up at our website at www.beyondyourwildestgenes.com, or if you're local, you can pick it up at the office, just mention the code. The August book of the month is The Serpent and the Butterfly, The Seven Laws of Healing by Dr. Ben Reeves. This is a really profound, easy book to read. You can listen to Dr. Mike interview Dr. Ben on the July 20th BYWG podcast. Our highlighted program for August is from our friend, soul-inspired girl, Dr. Laura Foster. The program is called Reclaim Your Voice, and the 15% discount code for our listeners is capital BYWG. Reclaim Your Voice is a 21-day online series for women who seek to speak their absolute truth with more confidence, courage, and conviction. The program begins August 10th. The link will be in the podcast show notes and weekly emails. Included will also be an invitation for female listeners to join the private Facebook group called Soul Inspired Girl, a space for heart-led women. And mind you, girl is not spelt with an I, it's spelt with a U. Thanks for listening, and as always, be awesome and never unawesome.